Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Public Podcast. I'm your host, Anne Berry, and I'm here with you all today to discuss the Fed's recent decision to pause, or maybe it was a skip, or maybe it was a hop, or maybe it was a jump on its rate hikes. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe to our YouTube channel for more in-depth interviews that will keep your portfolio on track. Today, we have back with us Danielle DiMartino Booth, CEO and Chief Strategist of QI Research to discuss the Fed's recent interest rate decision. Danielle, as always, welcome to Public. So great to have you joining. Great to be back with you, Anne. Good to be here. Danielle, tell us what just happened. What did Jay Powell just announce? What was the announcement we just got from the Fed? I think Jay Powell just said, stay tuned. And that's the last thing that markets want. The last thing that markets want is any source of uncertainty. And yet, if you looked at the dot plots, they were all over the place. There was, there was a large contingency in the middle. But there's obviously people who feel like the Fed has gone too far among those 18 FOMC voices. And there are people who feel as if the Fed has not gone near far enough. And for him to state plainly, July is a live meeting, those are very much Fed words. And we have to recall back to a time when the Fed only made serious interest rate moves four times a year, and July would typically be kind of a lame duck non-meeting. Right. He's saying, no, keep it alive. But, but by the time we get to July, we'll have three months of data in hand instead of just six weeks of data in hand, and we'll know more about where policy is headed. So I think it's worth just contextualizing this, Danielle, with a bit of a history lesson or a very, very recent history lesson. We have had since March 2022 a streak of 10 consecutive rate hikes. It's been, I think, the fastest period in, in economic uh, memory, recent mm-hmm. economic memory, where we've seen this speed of rate hikes. Today, we just saw a pause, which means that there was no rate hike. There wasn't a rate reduction either. And there was not specific guidance on what would happen, to your point, in, in the next month's meeting. Historically, what does it mean when we see hike pauses after there's been a period of increases? Are there any patterns we should be looking at right now? Uh, there definitely are. Uh, again, if you're talking about modern Fed history, once you see the Fed pause, that tends to mean that policy has peaked. And the differentiating factor this time is that the Fed is still very much a politico asked him a question about the balance sheet, asked Powell a question about the balance sheet, and he just brushed it off. Uh he continues to maintain that they're going to continue shrinking the Fed's balance sheet in the background. And I would maintain that even if we're going to to, to cleave to historic norms and for this to have been, for the last meeting to have been the last rate hike, Mm -hmm. the Fed has every intention to continue tightening. And we have to draw that distinction because every month that goes by and another $60 billion of treasuries rolls off the Fed's balance sheet, it's that much more difficult for households and, and, and corporations to borrow. There's still tightening going on. And let's talk about, Danielle, what we've seen overseas in terms of what the central banks are doing at a point in time and whether they've reversed their decisions. So we saw recently Canada decided to start putting rates back up again. We've seen the European Central Bank fairly consistently stick to this hawkish path of continuing to increase um, rates. We've seen the Bank of England um, take a beat and then come and lean back in. Uh, Jay Powell, the Fed has been consistent. They're going to be data driven. So what do you think this means? Do you think that this pause is going to be the precursor to a data driven revisiting? Do you think it's going to be hard at this point for the Fed to to lean back in? Or do you think they're managing expectations right now? Well, the only way that I see the Fed able to jump back in with another rate hike, despite what the dot plot said, is if it's different this time. 
And those are very, very, they're hard words to even come out of my mouth. I understand what the Reserve Bank of Australia has done. I understand what other central banks are doing, but this is the Federal Reserve and the Federal Reserve forges its own path. It's never followed another central bank in terms of how it thinks about making monetary policy. It's not going to start doing that now. And again, we have to bear in mind that the two-year treasury note made a full round trip. It popped up one-tenth of a percentage point, quite a big move when that statement was first released. And it sounded as if it was hawkish with the, the vast majority of members of the Federal Open Market Committee saying that there would be two more rate hikes in 2023. And then they listened to what Powell had to say, and we saw a full reversal of that in the two-year note. A lot of uncertainty, um, and rightly so. But again, as somebody who spent nine years inside the Fed, I don't see them coming back in with another rate hike, especially because if, if you follow other measures, Adobe has a digital inflation index, which only measures online um, interested, but we, we buy many things online these days, don't we? That inflation's already gone negative year over year. Okay. There's another gauge called Trueflation that, uh, that traders follow. It fell down to 2.54% today, very close to the Fed's uh, 2% target rate if you were to use an alternative source. And even looking at the, at the actual data, we're seeing CPI and even core CPI coming in and signs of momentum that this is going to continue going forward on the downside. Daniel, help us understand a little bit this concept of core CPI. If you listen to the, the press conference that Jay Powell just hosted, he said several times core CPI has not come in as quickly as we would like to have seen it come in. Just break down for us what is sitting at the heart of core CPI and why is it different from some of those other inflation metrics? Well, core CPI gives you a much better feel, if you will, for services. And, and Jay Powell talked a lot about services yeah. inflation specifically. In, in his press conference today. And we have seen travel remain very resilient. Uh, hotels, airfares have just now started to come down. And when he's, when he's talking about services, it's also code for labor market tightness, which he reiterated over and over again today in a press conference. He's saying that the, the, the biggest form of inflation, right? Companies' biggest line items in terms of their expense, what they pay their employees, that the rate of inflation of wages, when he says services, when he's drilling down to that core, he's saying that wages are not coming down quickly enough for the Fed to consider mm. coming off of its tightening stance. And in fact, you saw they took their unemployment uh, rate forecast down from 4.5% to 4.1% at the end of this year communicating to the world that they do indeed see that the labor market since they last met has strengthened, has tightened. So why did they pause, Danielle? That's the key question. In light of what you've just said about the labor market resilience and the fact that core CPI has not come down as quickly as Fed Chair Jay Powell would like to have seen, why the pause today? So we are seeing, and he mentioned this, we are seeing uh, the Fed rate policy play out with a lag in business investment. If you want to look at the flip side of business investment, that's businesses that are no longer with us. Those are bankruptcies that are running at the fastest pace since 2009. We've seen Chapter 11 filings in the United States rise by 105% year over year. So Fed policy is clearly impairing companies' access to capital. We saw this, whether you're talking about small business, the National Federation of Independent Businesses, or if you're talking about larger companies and Fifth Third Bank, for example, pulling completely out of making commercial real estate loans, an announcement that came down the pipeline just today. The credit crunch itself, the manifestation of several bank failures, we really haven't even seen that begun to play out. And if the Fed was going to take a cautionary stance because they do feel that policy is 
going through to business investment with a lag, that would be one of the reasons that they would have paused today. Let's talk a little bit more about, the, to use your words, uh, Danielle, the credit crunch. We have seen a lot of headlines lately, particularly around commercial real estate, about one and a half trillion dollars coming up for refinancing. We've seen corporate debt. Um, we've got a maturity walls coming up. We've got consumers who've taken out huge amounts of debt over the last couple of years and seen the end of um, some sort of periods of uh, resilience there. What do you, how are you defining a credit crunch? Is, is it just that the lending has calmed down or are you talking about, no, there's going to be defaults starting to spike? Because we haven't quite seen that yet more broadly. We're not seeing defaults coming down yet, but we have seen in New York Fed data evidence that, that defaults on automobile loans, especially for your younger cohorts, your 20-year-olds, your 30-year-olds, that they're actually rising up to levels mm. that are on par with what we saw during the great financial crisis. And I would remind you that this is prior to the August 29th resumption of student loan repayments, which have been on, on pause, will yeah. have been on pause for three and a half years by then. An average of $393 a month in payment could really harm households' budgets going forward. And as far as corporations, we have seen companies come out and say, you know what, it's too expensive for us to refinance our debt. And that is the reality of, of trying to come out from a world where we had zero interest rate policy for a very long time, for too long. And that does lay at the Fed's doorstep to where if you're a company coming out and saying, oh my gosh, my borrowing costs have doubled or tripled in a very short period of time. Let's talk about what that actually means when we break the numbers down, Danielle. So we saw the Fed chairman guide towards an interest rate target of about 5.6% for the end of 2023. So not what the market, some parts of the market had said, perhaps we're going to start seeing rate cuts at the end of this year. That seems to be off the table. And 4.6% by the end of 2024. Again, that's that's the dot plot. What are your thoughts on that guidance? Do you think that that's credible if you think that the Fed isn't really going to come back in after this pause? Or do you think that there is actually even a risk that we go above that? So at this point, it's not my view, again, that the Fed is going to hike interest rates again. And maybe it's just me showing my age because it's never been done in my lifetime. And you'd have to go back to a different generation to see the Fed jump back in. Mm -hmm. And that would be, in my mind, at least that would be conceding a policy error. But we have to keep in mind that every $100 billion of mm -hmm. shrinkage of the Fed's balance sheet is synthetic tightening. It's yeah. pulling liquidity out of the system. And my viewpoint going into today's Fed was where the dot plot ended up was where they feel quantitative tightening is going to effectively take borrowing rates in the country. Because it's, it's one thing if the actual level of interest rates is at a very high level and kept higher for longer. Yeah. It's another thing altogether if the Fed is going to be piling on in in pulling liquidity out of the system, making it more and more difficult as a factor of time, even if they're not raising interest rates, to gain access to credit. That's such an interesting point, Danielle. And, and there does seem to be not as much conversation uh, around the uh, amount of liquidity out there as distinct from more of the headline numbers on the interest mm -hmm. rates. It's such a great job of breaking down what the Fed is actually meaning by its, by its tightening strategy. When you think about the Fed essentially pulling liquidity out of the system in that way, what do you think the timing is until the U.S. economy feels the maximum impact of that? So, and this is a huge subject of debate 
among wonks and we talk all the time about where reserves are going to have to get to, how much liquidity is going to have to be depleted from the aggregate banking system before you hit a late 2019 moment when the Fed had to step in and launch what we called back then not QE, which was a very big thing at the time because we had the, the economy hit a wall and the Fed had to provide some kind of liquidity at that point. Bloomberg economists say that that, that wall is going to be hit by the time we hit New Year's Day. Jay Powell was asked that question today, and he's of the opinion that, that he can continue to shrink the balance sheet for another 12 months. So he's of the view that there will be what we call ample reserves in the system for much longer than I think what markets would would, would, would perceive, especially because, again, we have to keep in mind the debt ceiling was finally resolved. Yep. And that means that rather than Treasury Secretary Yellen pumping money into the, the system because she's depleting the nation's checking account below its minimum balance, which she had been doing, largely offsetting the effects of the Fed shrinking its balance sheet, she's no longer playing that role. She's going to be selling upwards of a half a trillion dollars of treasuries. That's going to pull even more liquidity out of the system here in the next few months just to replenish what the nation's cash balance is supposed to be that under emergency measures, while the debt ceiling is being fought out, it was allowed to go below that minimum balance. I hope you'll allow me to use this metaphor. Well, I think the parallels of personal finance are always helpful, Danielle, to bring these to life. So, so let's continue on that theme. Markets were still green after the, as the press mm -hmm. conference continued to evolve. Why is that? So let's take your analogy uh, on the treasury side, on the fiscal side, you know, the nation pulling below its minimum balance on the monetary side, we're continuing to see some tightening. Both of those would point to really slowing down GDP growth quite materially under normal circumstances, but what we've seen is anything but normal. So what's your, what's your outlook? Why is the market sort of not listening? So there are two different things going on here. One, I'm going to completely oversimplify. The majority of, of my followers on Twitter say the market doesn't believe Jay Powell. And that's, that's as super simplistic as you can possibly get. Mm -hmm. The flip side of that is we really have seen a large uptake in retail participation in the mm -hmm. stock market. Yeah. The idea of riding the momentum of, of, of NVIDIA and artificial intelligence and the next leg up in the markets? Are we in the midst of a melt-up? Narratives are very difficult to disabuse, very difficult. And, and Jay Powell brought up the idea of, of financial stability and that they're going to keep that on their radar. But at the same yeah. time, he's always, always been of the mindset that if the stock market's going to be way high up and agnostic to Fed tightening policy, then he's got a green light to keep tightening. And this is the circular, this, this is one of the reasons that even though the stock market is green, as you say, we've done anything but recapture the all-time peaks in the market because there's this constant tug of war, pull and pull, push and pull between what Jay Powell and his closest lieutenants maintain. They'll be coming right out of the gate. We've got John Williams tomorrow, I believe, Christopher Waller um, on Friday, two of his closest lieutenants. They're going to say that we need to maintain tighter policy and markets aren't going to like it. And Jay Powell's going to go up to Capitol Hill next week and speak in front of Congress. They probably aren't going to like what he has to say either. But for the moment, they're just calling his bluff. And that's what we've seen for the better part of the last 13, 14 months. We've seen Jay Powell say, I'm going to stay tight. I'm going to raise interest rates more than you think I am. Markets say, no, you're not. And then he turns around and he delivers. And that's why I think we've had such tremendous churn 
but not sustained upside or getting to new higher highs in the stock market. Well, the thing that's interesting, Danielle, is that the stock market stock market performance is not a metric that the Fed is mandated to, to, to manage, right? Their, their, their mandate is inflation. Their mandate is maximum employment at the lowest inflation possible, specifically this 2% target. But the big mystery in all this has been the labor market. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's been sort of a mystery, I feel, for at least 18 months now. What in your mind is going on? Why is it that the labor market has been able to sustain such low unemployment levels, even with participation in some cases increasing, um, despite the tightening that you've described? Well, I think, you know, Citigroup came out and announced 1,600 uh, 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 1600 headcount reduction. The, the layoffs that we're seeing are very white collar in nature. They don't necessarily show up in the unemployment rate. If you're if you're firing somebody who makes a half million dollars a year, they're not going to run out to their local Department of Labor and, and, and apply for unemployment insurance. All of this, all of this said, we still have 91% of the United States population living in a state where continuing claimants, the, the ranks of continuing claimants are rising. So in real time metrics, jobless claims, we are indeed seeing fallout in the labor market. Mm-hmm. Jay Powell, of course, was referring to non-farm payrolls and non-farm payrolls being north of 280,000 for the last three months. That was the, that was the, the, the figure that he pulled out. That's all good and well until you realize that 37% of the jobs that have been created in the last 12 months are due to a, a department, a Bureau of Labor Statistics um, quirky birth death and, um, adjustment. In, in, in other words, we're seeing peak bankruptcies, but at the same time, the authorities in, in, in Washington, D.C. at the Bureau of Labor Statistics are saying, no, we've had great numbers of companies being created because of an accounting trick that we played with the payroll data. That's what Jay Powell is referencing. He's referencing the fact that the unemployment rate is still 3.7%. Ask a man or woman on the street with 91% of the population in a state where unemployment is rising, we're coming to a greater realization and appreciation that the labor market that he maintains is so tight is simply not. So Danielle, last question for you right on the bow. Recession or no recession, where are you on that? I think we're very close to um, the National Bureau of Economic Research calling a recession. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only two holdouts are real spending, spending adjusted for inflation, and separately, the non-farm payrolls. Other than that, the other five of the seven indicators that the National Bureau of Economic Research uses to score recessions, they've already turned down. So I think it's just a matter of time right now. And I think any idea of trying to to envision, conjure up a Goldilocks soft landing is, well, I think you're kidding yourselves. You heard it here first, folks. That was Danielle DiMartino Booth. Always such a trooper coming with her crystal ball to give us her thoughts. That is the CEO and Chief Strategist of QI Research. Thank you all so much for joining public pod- our public podcast. Join us next time.